you're either working for or against your future self at the company. You could be acing the issues. You could be outspoken about what best practices are. You can assert some of the greatness that you believe comes with your experience. But I believe all of that stuff works against the future you. Yes, you're the new guy. Yes, okay, wow, he wants us to do, ooh, ooh, he says like SOA this and oh my goodness. But these are things that are short-term sort of wow moments, but they are not going to serve you when you need trust, when you need people to back you up, when you need people to buy into or give you the budget in order for you to succeed at the goals that you have been set. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Etienne de Brun. Now, Etienne is one of the most fascinating people I've met. He's a community builder based on his coding skills with a passion for startups and obsession for innovation. He loves people, bringing them together, helping them grow and learn together. Following a fantastic startup career, he was left with an option of what to do next and missed bringing people together to build. He's had many failures, a significant exit as a CTO and co-founder, which led him to go on and build one of the greatest communities for CTOs out there, seven TTOs a peer group and coaching organization for technology leaders. That community has grown from a small number to a global group. He's now written the fantastic book, CTO Excellence, and is on the way to have greater impact to help even more technologists grow and learn. There's a lot to learn in this show about his own personal experiences as an entrepreneur, as finding his why, but most importantly, bringing amazing people together. He is a South African, which means he is the current rugby world champion. But hopefully this year, my Irish team might have something to say about it. But before we get started, let's hear where it got started for him. In 2000, as a South African, you know, I got my computer science degree. I worked in the startup scene in South Africa. I moved to Germany, worked there for three years. And then when I landed in La Jolla, California, with my new job in the States, 2000, I had this moment in the hot tub. It was one of those moments where I felt like I was zooming out. And as I was zooming out, I was seeing myself in the little hot tub with palm trees and the starry night. In that moment, and there were two ladies in the hot tub as well, but that's a different story. But I did have a moment there. I was like, how the heck did I end up in this situation, you know? Then I started deconstructing it as I'm a computer science graduate, I am a coder, I am an educated person, I am a South African, I am a white South African, I'm a male South African, I was privileged in my education South African. And just one by one, the layers were peeled away for me that I was the product of privilege. I had this existential moment where I was like, I could have been anybody and anybody could have been me in that moment. And I just had this 
maybe the calling on my life is to solve the inequality issue in a creative way. Maybe I exist to use whatever creativity I have to solve a wicked problem in my own way. And what would happen if I gave myself the permission to just think, okay, dude, you can solve this problem. Just go do your thing. And that moment has haunted me. I mean, it still does because it it affected my life. Basically, it's the genesis of everything I'm doing today and have done up until now. Well, you know, it's one of the things that I really find fascinating and I definitely feel part of this in myself too. And it's a huge motivation for me is, you know, when you've come from difficult circumstances and you can recognize that and feel like use that as fuel to say, there's almost a responsibility on me for the opportunities I've been given to do something meaningful with it. And obviously you've a, a story of growing up in South Africa, a very difficult place for many people to grow up. Difficult more so than others, sure, but a difficult place for everyone to grow up. And yet you had these amazing opportunities to travel the world, to study, to be, as you say, deeply educated, to go to Europe, to live in La Jolla, probably one of the nicest parts of the world. If, honestly, like living around San Diego, it's unbelievable. And being aware of that, to do something with it, it can be a huge motivator for people if you're willing to ask yourself tough questions and say, why have I got this opportunity? What am I going to do with it? How am I going to have an impact? So what were some of the first things you sort of did then? That's a, like a heavy moment for someone to realize probably in their early 20s. Yeah, I was in my late 20s. And at the time, it was a fairly innocuous thought I had. The way I described yeah. it might have sounded. And now that I think about the gravitas of that moment, that is how it feels, the Google Earth moment. At the time... You know, I was wildly distracted by the blondes in the hot tub, and I kind of felt like I had a fleeting thought. So I, I kind of had a, what seemed to be an innocuous moment that has actually become a pivotal moment. So what ensued for me, I think, in the, the next 10 years was really just survival in the United States, culturally, legally, startup-wise. My wife and I, when we reflect on our first 10 years in the States, it took a lot out of us. I mean, a lot. And like, yes, it's a great country and it is oriented towards opportunity and ideas and everything can be done, but it also doesn't care much about you and it's not going to roll the carpet out for you. And, And so as a South African, I had to unlearn a lot of the stuff that I had assumed I would be getting in the States. Now, the other thing that I want to mention is we had just come from Germany, which was on the other end of the opportunity scale. I mean, in Germany, everything is just a hard no, no matter where you go. It's like, no, no, you can't volunteer. No, you need a credential. No, you can't put your trash out in this air. No, no, no. So we had an unrealistic expectation about what the United States would offer us not only in opportunities, but also in friendships and relationships. And we actually went through a very rocky time. I think I kind of had my baptism of fire in a way. I was in my late 20s, kind of had to grow up pretty quickly because, you know, with visas, for instance, and I think you being an immigrant 
So you now fill that more forms than I care to imagine for trying to yes, get them yes. to different places. Yeah. And you really are guilty until proven innocent. I mean, you're constantly having to say, no, I'm not the person you think I am. I'm actually want to contribute. I'm here to help. I... I'm here to help. <laughs> yeah. So I would say a very important distraction, I think, from my life's mission, the hot tub moment, was simply navigating corporate America. And then starting my own company in 2005, which basically was my 30s, bootstrapping a company, growing it to a multi-million dollar organization, selling that company, and sort of giving me startup legitimacy, at least to myself. And that was my 30s. And then my 40s was after my exit, and you and I got to know each other in early in my 40s. And that's where I realized I am helping other startups in the role of CTO. I felt this really mysterious thing that a lot of exit people feel, which is I have to do it again to prove that the first one was legit. Yeah. <laughs> I work with a bunch of them right now in Nobody Studios. Believe me, I know exactly what know. you're talking about. That's so weird. It's such a weird thing. Like that first win, and we had a fantastic win. But dude, my brain was like, uh-uh, uh-uh. Unless you do it again, it means nothing. So I had to get over myself. Can I ask you a little bit about this one, though? Because it, it's such an observable thing. Building a startup is exceptionally hard. Right? Probability of success, like the helicopter is leaving in three minutes. You can grab a bag, get on it. There's a point zero 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 one percent chance you're going to make it back. And obviously, both of us like jumping on those helicopters. It's a fascinating experience, test of your mentality, everything, uh, your energy, the whole lot. And it's amazing. You know, obviously you had an amazing result. How did you manage that moment? Because I think so many people, it's almost like chasing the dragon for some people is that it's all they want to do. You've managed to sort of face that moment and do something amazing that we'll talk about in a minute. But I'd, I'd love you to talk a little bit about like, how did you manage that moment of not trying to do exactly what you did before. I've got so many thoughts and maybe your listeners will pick up some nuggets, but I think the first problem I had was the actual cash amount in my checking account. All my life, and especially as a CTO, my optimal work mode was doing more with less. The economy, the school system, we're all trained, hey, you're dependent on the economy, work really wisely with your resources because, you know, it's basically paycheck to paycheck. Now, you take the entrepreneur, especially bootstrapped. I mean, we were filling out credit card applications to pay off other credit cards. I mean, it, it was horrible. So here I am then 10 years later, and I have this ridiculous amount sitting in my, the same account that I can write checks out of or have a debit card to. And that was very, very uncomfortable. I really wish that I had been coached on how that moment is going to feel and what that moment actually means. And it took a really, a lot of financial advisors appear out of nowhere. One of them said something to me, which I think is nugget number one, which is you don't have to do something with the money like right away. It's okay if it sits there, even if it sits in the checking account. It's like you don't have to be the world's most shrewd financial person overnight to deal with that. And I'm talking about, you know, it was a couple million dollars. And so 
it was funny money for me at that stage. And so Absolutely. I find that that was a great piece of advice where it was like, listen, you don't have to do something with it. Even if it doesn't accrue any interest and it sits there for six months, it's fine. The second thing that happened to me was, which I think was another mistake I made. Well, another thing I learned was because I was so entrenched in the startup for 10 years and I'm an ideas person, I felt an incredible vacuum. We negotiated a clean exit, but I had so many ideas and now all of a sudden I had a shit ton of money and I was like, well, now I can finally fund all my ideas. <laughs> that was a huge mistake. I lost a lot of money thinking, oh, I want to solve this problem for short-term rentals. I want to solve this yeah, problem it's... for the HOA industry. And so I started funding. I started hiring developers. And one day we were at Street Scene in San Diego and my buddy said to me, we were talking about all my ventures and he was saying, well, you're not using your own money to fund these ventures, are you? And I had this moment where I was like, oh my goodness, I've got a short circuit going on here. I'm writing the checks that the product manager wants me to build. And I was just like, what the heck am I doing? So I learned a very hard lesson. So I would say for those two lessons, like the actual cash amount and what to do with that cash, it was an expensive lesson for me to learn that I have to be very thoughtful about why I'm going to do the next thing and just saying, oh, well, you did it once. You have to prove to who knows who that you can yeah. do it again. I realized that that's not a compelling why. That took me about 12 months of depression and soul searching and being a real pain in the ass to my wife and family to figure that out. Yeah, I can believe it. No, thank you for that candor. Not many people get to live that experience, again, which is hard, as you say, like finding people to actually talk to even about to manage that situation, to have some tips as you go into it. But it's fascinating. I see this again in the studio, right? There's so many people I work with that have done fantastic things. They've had great moments of success. But the thing that really stood out to me is this why. You actually have to find such a meaningful why, not just like, oh, finally I can work on that idea that I've always wanted to, but do I really? Because you're someone I think who has connected with an outstanding why today. You've built this amazing community for CTOs called 70 CTOs. That's obviously how we met. I had the pleasure to come along and attend one of your gatherings where you, you know, you get everybody together in person a couple of times a year, but I guess that was your flagship event. I was quite simply blown away by the energy, the openness of all of these CTOs from all over the US at the time. It, it felt like coming together who were in early stage startup and so open about the challenges that they were facing in their role, giving each other guidance and an extremely safe space, but absolutely so much fun as well. I was really struck by that because it's not often you go into those types of communities where every single person I spoke to as I was sort of wandering around the room was just, just talking about how much they get out of it. So tell us a bit more about how you found that sort of thread in the sea of got to build another startup and yet you managed to find seven CEOs. Absolutely. I do sometimes wonder how it is that I love coding. I've grew up coding, I love technology, and I'm a raging extrovert, which has always 
put me sort of in a weird situation at the networking events or the vendor meetups or like I was always the, hey, did you meet this guy and this guy? You know, like I felt very comfortable with doing that. So I also noticed in my own CTO journey that I was needing a lot of help and that I was struggling. I was hitting a ceiling and I literally would bounce back down into what I knew how to do just because I didn't want to embrace uncertainty. And again, I had to stick with what I had learned how to do, which is really just code and code and code and code and code and eat pizza and drink Coke and code. And so from that, I noticed that actually we had an executive coach to our startup, which I will credit my co-founder for, for bringing an executive coach in. And she commented on this loop that I was in, that I would only stick to what I have learned in life and I wouldn't venture beyond that. And I realized, well, the only way I'm going to venture beyond what I know is if I can learn from other people that I trust. I felt the natural aversion to war stories and just because X did it, now everyone else is doing it. So I felt yeah, like no, I think that might be the Irish in me or the anarchist in me. It's like, I'm not interested in someone else spewing out how they did it. What I really wanted to do was stand up in a room and open my kimono and say, guys, this is all I can do. I actually don't know what else to do. And, and then to have that trust and safety. So I think that thinking is so orthogonal to what was being done at the time. Like I said, meet up groups about coding frameworks or some new database vendor trying to swoon CTOs into buying their product. Like it was so topical and so cognitive. And I was coming at it with such heart and vulnerability that those who resonated with that resonated pretty hard with that. Yeah, now it's sure. not for everybody, but yeah. those who saw it, they were drawn to it. And it's interesting when I sold my company a few years later, I felt so disconnected from myself and my why and my purpose that I actually forgot that seven CTOs was a thing. It took my wife to say to me, dude, you need to wake the F up because you've got a whole community of people that you've brought together that are waiting for you to show up. It's funny the the very organization I started when I didn't need it that much is the one that I needed the most when I thought I didn't need it that much. It was a weird thing. And so I spent the rest of my 40s building out seven CTOs. I got to know you. You spoke at our 0111 event. You opened the event for us. We've had a few events like that since then. We're three, 400 members now. We're across all the, the cities and globe. We're in almost all continents. So my vision for creating a emotionally intelligent, collaborative, influential, top of the food chain group of people at the top is coming to fruition from my hot tub moment because I was realizing instead of dumping laptops onto kids who didn't know what to do with them as an act of kindness, I was going to focus on creating a, a completely different ecosystem. And so that's how I realized, and this is how my why started percolating after my exit, was actually I exist for the generation that hasn't been born yet 
to give them opportunities that they would never have considered to participate in the prosperity that comes from technology and innovation. That's not, in my mind, going to come through existing infrastructure or existing institutions or existing supply chain or existing career paths. To me, it's going to come from a completely different way of doing things that is heart-centered and empathic. And that's why if I want to reach the lowest of the low on the, the food chain, I'm going to start with those who have benefited the most from the institution and from the system. And if I can turn them into warm and fuzzy, duddy, honey pot, heart-centered, huggy, fluffy people, man, imagine just the exponential influence I can assert on that whole supply chain and the whole ecosystem. That's why I am alive. You're living this. I think it's very rare when you meet people that are almost in a flow state of the thing that they're doing is the exact thing that they should be doing. And you're someone who always reminds me of that whenever I see you, right? Like you have created and continue to sort of, again, build more momentum behind the exact thing that you should be doing. It's a joy to see. Thank it gives you. gives me a lot of hope. Thank you. Again, you've <laughs> helped you. to create this fantastic community. It really is. I have a privilege of getting to go to a lot of events, whether they're conferences or get togethers. And that event was one that still sticks out in my mind as where wow. there's a bunch of people that like all really want to be there. Like they're getting so much from what they're putting into it. Yeah. I really, really sort of enjoy that. You've gone even further now again, after building this community, which is a lot about sharing lessons with one another, about people putting themselves out there, being vulnerable, becoming better leaders overall, you probably weren't able to write code. So you decided you'd write Word and codify it into a deployable package, also known as a book called CTO Excellence in 100 Days, which again is a great way to encapsulate these learnings. One of the great gifts someone said to me once was the best way to scale what you're learning is to write it down and to just put it out there into the world. And you'll be amazed how many people it helps when you write down, what did I actually learn from this experience? What was the challenge? What was the options? What did I choose? What would I do again? You've sort of essentially codified this for how to become a great leader your company deserves, which I love as a great subtitle. Tell us a little bit about how did you go about capturing your thoughts and the thoughts I'm sure of many people who've helped inspired you along the way. In my journey of building seven CTOs, of course, I've spoken to thousands of people and I've also did not realize that this would happen, but I became sort of Mr. CTO for a bunch of founders who yep. would reach out to seven CTOs and say, hey man, we're looking for a CTO, blah, blah, blah. I was very cognizant of the fact that I didn't want seven CTOs to become like shooting fish in a barrel where I have all these CTOs and the company signs them up to become a better leader. And then six months later, they disappear into a better opportunity. So I was yeah. very, very hawkish about just keeping people who needed CTOs away from seven CTOs. But I did, of course, over time, people would say to me, hey, Etienne, my company is letting me go. 
or I am going to move on from this company. So I always had this sort of group of CTOs that were ready for new opportunities. And instead of sort of monetizing that, I just decided I'm just going to do the good thing. And if a founder comes along and I see a fit, then I would match those people and then the world will be a better place. What I noticed, though, was that notwithstanding my amazing matching skills, the partnership would start and then it would be great for three to six months and sometimes even for a year and then it would just disintegrate. So I saw way too many situations where on paper you had a great CEO, you had a great CTO drawn together by a mission that was compatible and then the thing just fizzled and then I'm like, I racked my brain as to why is this happening? And it happened enough times to where I started saying, I need to talk to people. I need to figure out what is going on. And that's when I realized that CTOs particularly, in my mind, were not doing some really basic things to assimilate with a company. It's not a blame. It's not a fault finding. It's just I felt like there were just some really basic things that your new company or your existing company deserves to know about you and you need to show up in a way that they deserve. For instance, if I am being asked multiple times a month, hey, how is this feature coming along? Or do I have an idea of when something will be done? It's like the dreaded when will something be done question, right? That is such a trigger question and so much meaning can be attached to, well, why do they keep asking me this? How do they think I know? I don't know. How about you estimate exactly what time you're going to arrive in Atlanta if you drive a car, blah, blah, blah. And I realized that these were all things that we as CTOs sometimes take into companies. And for whatever reason, whatever past experiences, past hurts, past anger, that there was a bunch of things that they needed to unlearn. (laughs) Yeah. I love every time I say unlearn, you send me 50 bucks, right? 52 now you're up to. So yeah. uh, 52, yeah, cool, cool. Great. Yeah. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to just show CTOs, especially ones that are new to a, not necessarily new CTOs, but in a new role or existing CTOs who found that their role might be growing stale, that there's like a hundred day, 10 weeks or 10 chapters of 10 days of things that you can focus on that might not be as intuitive for you because of your background in technology, in finding and solving problems. I kind of hit you on the head with a whole different approach that is more, again, heart-centered, empathy-building, network-strengthening, just weaving yourself into the fabric of the C-suite and the organization that may not be as intuitive for you when you hit the ground running at a new company. That's why I decided, okay, I'm going to try and be like Barry and also write a book. Look, this is how pathetic my life is. It's like, even when you talk about writing one book, I had that thing where I had to write the other book again, which is so, it is <laughs> like, that's why your earlier stories just resonated with me so much. It's like, why do we do this to ourselves? Why am I doing I know, this to myself? It I makes know. me laugh. Again, like this is sort of the thing, even just like already looking at the reviews people are, are writing, everyone just writes, there's so much value in this. 
there are so many great tips. There's tons of things that I could apply practically straight away. Even when you were writing these, what were one or two of the things? Because it's, I don't think this is just for technology leaders. I feel like there's lessons in here for anyone joining a technology company or just a company in general about those first 100 days are, they're seminal to like set the tempo, to understand what is going to be your style of leadership. How are you going to show up every day in every moment? Yes. And I feel like leaders are under so much demand to show up all the time. Whether it's a Slack message, you got to show up and craft it in a thoughtful way. Whether it's every conversation, you're always, in a way, up for judgment against how people might perceive your behavior, which is exhausting. I'd love to hear some, yeah, like one or yeah. two like tips that you'd give and recommend. I'll give you two. And again, I love what you said. I actually had quite a few founders who read the book say to me, they now wish that their CTO had followed this framework when they started. So yes, I find with so many topics around CTO-ness, the information just flows both ways. Like both the CEO and the CTO needs nothing. One, and, and I love what you said about tempo. I basically say that you're either working for or against your future self at the company. You could be acing the issues. You could be outspoken about what best practices are. You can assert some of the greatness that you believe comes with your experience. But I believe all of that stuff works against the future you. Yes, you're the new guy. Yes, okay, wow, he wants us to do, ooh, ooh he says like SOA this and oh my goodness. Yeah. But these are things that are short-term sort of wow moments, but they are not going to serve you when you need trust, when you need people to back you up, when you need people to buy into or give you the budget in order for you to succeed at the goals that you have been set. And so I like to talk about that pacing and about that tempo. You're either working for or against your future self. The second thing I like to say is you're most likely not going to be solving the problems that you were hired to solve. So yeah. the CEO, the company lets go of the other CTO or there's something that happens. You come in to solve problem X. Well, anybody who's into systems thinking, anybody who understands anything about organizational design knows that that is not going to be the problem you're going to solve. Your predecessor couldn't solve it and yep. your successor won't be able to solve it unless you turn inward to the system that you've joined and use every systems thinking tool in the book, which I talk about in the book, to really come into the system, understand how it works, and then to join once again that pacing. And then to celebrate the fact that the problems that you're solving are actually more perception, relationship, disappointment, pet peeves, and to come in as a CTO and to truly be curious about that and to really take the time in your first 100 days to learn about that, oh my goodness, you're going to be solving some delicious problems going forward because you're going to know exactly what success looks like to the CMO the CFO, the CEO, and all that, instead of your own perceived 
I have to demonstrate value. So I am going to beat the crap out of this place with my technical bat. Yeah, nuance. Yeah, it's so good. The reason we do this show and call it Unlearn is that it's so much about contrary viewpoints on what great looks like. You even mentioned this yourself in your own journey of like when we're under stress or we're in unknown situations, the things that we go to are what we know. And often those are not the things that are going to help us be successful in these highly complicated yeah. situations. It's, as you say, in, in this example, as a technical leader, you joining a company and drawing architecture diagrams that look beautiful and have high performance integrations and API speeds. And again, while it's grounded in your technology excellence, it's not what the company might need. It's actually understanding how the system functions, the people's yes. motivations, what their priorities are, why there's push and pull in certain directions. And actually, I think that a CTO in that situation, because so few people understand what they actually do, rely on their audience not knowing what the fuck you're talking about. So there's yeah. this, like you said, the diagrams, the terminology, and then people walk away from that meeting saying, wow, I didn't understand a word he said, but he sure looked really confident and she really seemed like she knew what she was talking about. And I'm saying, let's unlearn that because that's what got you there probably is you just know a lot and not many people know what you know. Well, yeah. what if you take the hundred days and you become a student of what other people know? And instead of showcasing your knowledge and your expertise, you become a sponge. And maybe this is management 101. I don't know. But you just become a sponge to what the C-suite wants and build those relationships, not from a place of what you know and they don't, but what they know and you don't. I can see, though, as you say, there are lessons in leadership as much as the discipline of technology excellence, right? And I think that's... One of the reasons I'd, I'd highly encourage lots of people to dig in and take a look at this. So for you then looking forward, what are you excited about as you look ahead? You've done the startups, you've built this amazing community, you've written the book. What mountains are left to climb, Etienne? You know, you're already well, um, the world champions of rugby, which you get to accelerate for the last three and a half years. So I'm, can I, I only live in envy of that as an Irish person. Tell us, what are you excited about as you look ahead? I feel like I know what's in your future, and that is lifting that Webb Ellis Trophy. They cycled through the 2019 World Rugby South African squads ages, and I realized most of our heroes are in their mid-30s, which is, of course, ancient history when you're a rugby player. You know, I'm an ecosystem builder. I feel like the seven CTOs mission and vision is but the beginning of what I really want to achieve. And so I'm doing two things right now. One is I decided to write more books. So for my 50s, I've decided I actually have a little canon that I want to write. Excellence is the first book. I'm already working on a second one. Not for the reasons I said earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I actually wanted to get this book out of the way so that I could start with my second one. Yeah, I could work on really work on the third book. That was yeah, what yeah. you really want to work yes. Okay, you see right through me. But for 10 years, I've sort of, and this is a bit of a vulnerable share, but 
I have sort of hidden behind my community, sort of the reluctant leader of the community. I own that mantle as someone who has an opinion about what solid CTOing looks like and what it should look like. So I am putting that to writing and hoping that that will expand not only my influence, but also help define the category in a way that I believe is emotionally intelligent and can have the greatest impact, not only on customers, but on employees. What I've now moved to is the second thing, which is called every dev. And every dev is my vision to create an organization that every developer wants to be a part of. I'm thinking of like a hundred bucks a year price point and to just get the tools and all the things that I'm learning from leadership to really sort of percolate that through to developers at every stage of their career. So I want to have like a no-brainer price point, but I want to track literally, I named it every dev because I want every developer now. I'm okay with some CTOs. I'm okay with seven CTOs, but I need every developer to be a part of this next thing. Great. I'm not interested in sort of a pounding the pavement approach. I'm not going to like kill myself to do it. I am going to thoughtfully, hopefully through my books and through my talks and all that inspire developers to what they can achieve and then hopefully bring them into the everyday family. So that's what is next, brother. I love it. I think it's great. It's given agency for more people to access the great knowledge that not only you're only accumulating with the communities building and I'm excited to see where it goes. I've no doubt you're going to make it something special. I'll definitely make sure when you launch both the book and that community that we get you back to come and tell us more about it. It's Thank been you, great buddy. to have you on the show. Always fun. Thank you very much for sharing. Oh, I love it. And congrats on the um, Rugby World Cup. You guys did great. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed that show, but I'm even more delighted to share the exciting news. I've recently co-founded a new venture studio named Nobody Studios. Now, Venture Studio is a vehicle for the rapid creation of new companies from ideation to acceleration and growth. And our purpose at Nobody Studios will be to de-risk pre-seed stage business ideas. We'll do this by minimizing the time, speed and capital involved in validating truly repeatable and scalable business models before any significant venture investment. We've an audacious goal to start 100 compelling companies over the next five years, and who knows how many beyond that. So if you're interested in radically changing the way work is done, how products are created, companies built and funded, even democratizing the wealth creation and how returns are distributed, this could be the business for you. We're looking for talent, capital, and influence. If you wish to contribute any or all of these, just get in touch. You can follow us on nobodystudios.com, on our LinkedIn page, all the social media accounts, or simply my newsletters and what I'm sharing. We'll be launching a truly innovative crowdfunding campaign, and I'd be honored if you'd be willing to join us on this journey and become a nobody yourself. <laughs>